So the reading today comes from Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verses 11 through to the end of that chapter, to 22. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember at, that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you are you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Thanks, Mandy. All right, friends, as we jump into this incredibly rich passage, I've got a, uh, I've got a question for you to consider. I want you to bring to mind a one-word answer. What is one thing that you love about Trinity Church, Brighton? Excuse me. What is one thing that you love about Trinity Church, Brighton. Now, to be clear, that's not just a rhetorical question to stay inside your head. We're going to have 30 seconds of chaos because I'd love to hear your responses. Just one word, not an essay. One word, shout it out. What is one thing that you love about Trinity Church, Brighton? It might not be the only thing or even the biggest thing. There's no microphone, there's no hands up, but... Fellowship. fellowship. Teaching. Teaching. People. All of us. Community. Community. Unity, truth. truth, keep them coming, we've got 16 seconds to go, family, family. coffee, coffee. <laughs> music, faith, faith. Christ-centred, love. love, children, babies. including babies. <laughs> well, friends... I find it really encouraging to hear the things that you value so much about our church family. And if you're new or visiting with us, well, I hope, you know, we're delighted that you're here. And I hope that gives you a bit of a a snapshot of who we are. Because church can definitely have both its real joys and its challenges, can't it? Um, It's ups and it's downs. But in today's passage, God lifts our vision to see beyond any of those things, to actually see His vision an amazing vision for what he's doing in church. 
And um, because he's written it for us, so he's inspired the Apostle Paul to write it for us in actually a really beautiful part of God's Word that's got so much going on, I've actually asked a few people to hand it out. We're going to, I've printed out today's passage, formatted a little differently just to highlight a few key features. So Val and, and Lauren and Dave, if you don't mind passing them around. Um, because today's passage simply has so much going on that we cannot capture all of it. But part of the way that the Apostle Paul has chosen to craft this, I think, highlights for us just the the real riches and the beauty of God's Word, that it would be a pity not to, to kind of pick up on that. Um, as the, as the um, sheets of paper are being handed out, let me introduce you to a technical term that the Bible scholars use, uh, because today's passage is written using a structure called a chiasm. A chiasm has, has myriad layers that narrow into the centre or the big idea. So if it felt like there was some repetition in what Mandy read for us, that's because it's entirely deliberate, it's very intentional. Um, now, on the other hand, don't make too much of it because some Bible geeks will find a chiasm under every rock. Um, but I think in this instance, uh, this is a helpful way of getting into our passage today. And for another visual image, you can, you can picture a chiasm as being a little bit like a pass the parcel, with each matching pair being like wrapping that takes us just a little bit closer to the precious gift at the very centre of it. So on that sheet of paper, you can see that I've added some little letters to show us that A goes with A and B goes with B and C goes with C. Can I just have some hands? Is there anyone that didn't get a, a, a copy? We just missed a couple through the middle here if we've got some spares. Thanks, Lauren. And which brings us to D, the section right in the middle, the precious gift, the big idea that the Apostle Paul wanted to teach the Ephesians, that God needs us to get our heads around today. Reading from the second half of verse 15, his purpose, that is Jesus' purpose, was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. So what we're going to do is kind of peel back those layers, layer by layer, to see God's amazing vision for his church, beginning with the first layer. So off we go, passing the parcel, reading from verse 11 and 12. Therefore, actually, I'm going to pause right there, because anytime you see a therefore, it's good to ask yourself, what is the therefore there for? You'll remember uh, from last Sunday that the Apostle Paul had just highlighted God's amazing grace, his mercy compelled by his love that made us alive in Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. That's the wonderful thing that God has done for every Christian person. Therefore, Paul wrote, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth. Second pause. We will get faster as we move on. At this point, Paul turns his attention to the Gentile Christians in the Ephesian church, the non-Jewish members of that church family. See, like most of the early church, there was a mix of people from um, Jewish and non-Jewish backgrounds there in the church in Ephesus. And because of a whole host of cultural and historical differences, there was a really big danger of of an us and them mindset that actually sometimes boiled over into a really significant conflict. And that's why Paul talks about male circumcision here in this passage. We might think of circumcision, surely that's a very personal matter. And yet it was actually a community sign that distinguished the Jewish people from all of those around them. The Jewish people who had received the promises of God. If you're taking notes and you want some background reading, Genesis 17 helps us to see the origins of this and how circumcision stood as God's sign of his promises to Israel. 
So think this through. While Paul has summed up everything that God has done for every Christian, at this point he turns his attention to the Gentile Christians in particular. But this is where he is such a clever pastor, because this is a letter that was read to the church as a whole, right? And so even though he's speaking to the Gentiles, the Jews, well, they're, they're listening on as well, which means it's a wonderfully respectful and gentle way to have a challenge for them as well. So, with that context in mind, again in verse 12 of part A, remember that, that at that time you Gentiles were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. Friends, Paul is using some really powerful images to describe just how excluded the Gentile people were from the promises of God. To be a Gentile was, by definition, to be excluded from the nation of Israel. But even more than that, it was to be excluded from the promises of God that created Israel. And because we are all dead in our transgressions and sins, not having the promises of God meant that they were, as he sums up there, without hope and without God in the world. It's a very humbling place to start. But what a glorious place to end. If you look at the the end, the other half of Section A, down there in verse 19, because Paul here uses the very same terms to highlight the wonder of what being in Christ means for the Gentiles, that they're no longer foreigners, but they're now fellow citizens. They're no longer without God, they're now members of his household. It's an amazing reversal, which is why we need to see what the next layer of wrapping has in store for us as we work towards the gift at the centre Part B there, on your handout, from verse 13. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And I don't know if you've ever known the pain of exclusion. But for those who do, this is, this is a wonderful picture of movement. From far away to being brought close. And just as Paul has pointed out a number of times already in uh, the book of Ephesians, that was done by the blood of Christ through his death on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, that he paid the penalty for our sin so that we might be brought close. And if we were new to this message, we might be saying, well, brought close to what? Well, that's what Paul spells out in the second half of section B. As he keeps drawing a circle around the precious gift there in verse 18, for through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Those who are previously excluded, they've been brought close, they've been brought so near that we have access to the Father by one Spirit through the Son. Now, it's no accident that Paul mentions the Father, the Son and the Spirit here. I think it's a deliberate reminder that God himself is already perfect relationship. He is perfect family. And now the Gentiles, they've been brought into this inner circle of ultimate community, members of God's own household. It's amazing. But remember who he's writing to. The Gentiles. This is the Gentiles who've been brought near to God, given access to God himself. They're the ones, those people, who'd never even heard of the ancient sacrificial system of the Old Testament, the had never had the covenant sign of circumcision, if even the Gentiles could be brought near to God, then what did that do for their relationship with the Jews? Well, that's the next layer 
part C, as we keep peeling it back from verse 14. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. Now, I think for most of us, we struggle to get the weight of this. But Paul is saying that in Christ, the relationship between Jew and Gentile has been totally changed. But for many of us in Australia, we struggle to get our heads around it. I don't know about you, but it's possible that many of us don't know any Jewish people. And we don't have any lived experience of the kind of tension that's being talked about here. But the Ephesians certainly did. It was their lived experience. It was their church experience. But it's helpful for us to remember the context of the letter to the Ephesians that Paul wrote from prison. It was the very reason that he was in prison as he wrote this letter. In fact, it was one of their own church members who'd been kind of the the trigger point of Paul's arrest in Jerusalem and his deportation to Rome. Again, if you're interested in background reading, jot down Acts chapter 21 where you can see uh, the, the riot that happened when Trophimus the Ephesian was thought to have been taken by Paul into the, the holy place in the temple in Jerusalem. And I think that's why Paul talks about the dividing wall of hostility here because on one level that could just be kind of a, a metaphor, the metaphor of the hostility that separated Jew and Gentile for centuries But I think also there's a literal reference to the wall that surrounded the temple complex in Jerusalem, the wall that said, and and he had signs posted on it saying that that no Gentile could progress any further and they would be killed if they did. That was the dividing wall of hostility that prevented the, the Gentile people from getting any closer to the holy place at the heart of the temple. You see, Paul and the Ephesians knew just how divisive and hostile this issue was which is why the statement of verse 14 is just so remarkable jesus himself is our peace our peace being the peace between the two groups the jew and the gentile centuries of hostility set aside and as paul would put it so poetically in the second half of that part c when jesus died on the cross jesus put that hostility between jew and gentile to death in his own death. And I think that's where we start to see just how significant this is for Christians today. For Christians from a Jewish and Gentile background, there is no division between us. Different backgrounds, yes, but no division that should cause hostility for those who are in Christ. But even though the Jew-Gentile issue may not be the, the kind of the hot button issue for us today in the way that it was in Ephesus, I think its implications for us today are just as far reaching. Let me read again from verse 16 to help us to understand the significance of what Jesus has done in in destroying that barrier between them. That in doing so, Jesus would in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. Friends, we need to see the significance of this for us too. That coming near to God in Christ means we are unavoidably brought near to each other in Christ. So to come near to God means coming near to each other without division. In fact, it's a wonderful beauty 
of what God's mission is in the church. That it's his deliberate intention, no accident here, it's his deliberate intention that we come from different races, from different parts of the world, from different parts of society. We come from different formative experiences, from different sexual identities, from different cultural identities, with different baggage of all kinds. In any other context, so much of that background might be the kind of the cause of immense hurt and, and division and even hatred. And it's not hard for us to call to mind some of the big picture issues that have caused profound division amongst people, even in recent years. I mean, we joke about some of them, right? The rivalry between Port and the Crows. Now, there's division. But we all come with baggage that, in just about any other context, would divide us. Divisions between black and white, indigenous and invader, Irish and English, the Middle East and the West, India and Pakistan, communism and democracy, gay and straight, rich and poor, hostility that would divide, but not in Christ. For he himself is our peace, which, as an aside, is a pretty sweet dig from Paul at the massive claim of the Roman Empire. The Roman emperor was, was famous for having established the Pax Romana, which is Latin for the peace of Rome. But it was a peace that was brought at an iron fist uh, through the exercise of fearsome power against anyone who would cross Caesar. You see, at every point in human history, there have been all kinds of other voices claiming to bring peace and to unite, but they all fall short, except Jesus. He himself is our peace. In his flesh, we read in verse 13, through the cross, verse 16, he died to put the hostility to death. You see, ever since Genesis chapter 3, our conflict with God has brought about conflict with each other. You think of Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, you think of the chaos at the Tower of Babel, you think of the chaos of human history and the conflict of the family home. Sin has made humanity a mess of conflict. But Jesus himself is our peace. And so, the layer that we've been getting ready to see, the precious gift at the heart of it all. I wrapped up a box of muesli bars, which is so terribly anticlimactic, because honestly, nothing can compare with what God has on view for us, right at the heart of this passage. What Jesus' purpose in all of this is, as we read there in the second half of verse 15. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. Friends, this is why. Jesus. His purpose was to take that mess of conflict that is humanity stuck in our sin and, and to make it new. To create in himself one new humanity. That's his project. He's not just buffing up humanity, humanity, or he's not just knocking off our sharp edges. It's not even some hybrid model where he takes a little from column A and a little from column B and engineers some new Franken-human. It's a new humanity. One that is in Christ. And there is no other hope for peace. And yet the truth is we also don't need any other ultimate hope for peace 
because he himself is our peace. One new humanity in Christ. And yet, as marvellous as that is, it's not actually where Paul finishes his train of thought. You'll see that I've printed the verses 19 through 22 a little differently there as well. For the astute, you'll see I've even repeated verse 19 to see that it's the hinge that kind of takes us on into the next train of thought. So to sum up so far, Paul's highlighted that Jesus had a profound purpose to create one new humanity, dying on the cross to deal with the sin that is the root cause of our hostility, bringing us close to God and close to each other. And Paul knows that the Jews are listening on as this is being written to the Gentiles, probably being challenged by some of this. But as he says, the encouragement for the Gentiles is that in verse 19, they are now fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household. Do you see the images he's drawing on? Images of, of individuals being being included into a community. We've got citizenship on view and we've got adoption all wrapped up together because this nation is actually, it's a family, it's a household. So when you meet a Christian for the first time, Arpan rocks up here at church, you know, the other week, we meet and, and, and we are family, we are brothers. Even if in any other context, you know, we might struggle to find things in common. I look forward to getting to know you, brother, because in Christ, we are family. But then Paul zooms right out from that picture of individual citizenship. He, he zooms, an, an, an adoption I should say, he zooms right out to look at the global picture of the one universal church. That the household, beautiful play on words, it isn't just the family, it's also the house that we live in. And that house is, reading from verse 20, it's built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. So we've zoomed in to see that it's individuals included in the family. We've zoomed right out to this global picture of the church. And it's, it's a glorious building. It's the house of God. It's a temple. It's the place where God and humanity meet. And there is only one temple and it has a sure foundation. Christ himself, as he's been witnessed to in the word of God. And there is no other foundation and there is no other house. All who are in Christ around the world, throughout the passage of time, all of us are part of this one house. What a grand vision that is. But then Paul just keeps moving and he makes it local and tangible and very, very practical. Because there in verse 22, he looks the Ephesians in the eyes, or at least as much as you can through a letter, right? But he looks at the Ephesians and he says to them, and in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Do you see the significance of that? This is where this wonderfully big vision of God finds its tangible, its practical, its uncomfortable, joyful expression right here in the local church. You see, we've seen a very big picture. It was Jesus' purpose that he would create a new humanity in himself, free from division and hostility, the new creation in human community. 
and in his wonderful wisdom that boggles my mind, that grand global vision plays out in the humble local church. In him, you too, Trinity Church Brighton, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Now friends, if that doesn't get your cogs turning about what it means to be church together, then I'm not sure what will. (laughs) Because this should be mind-blowing for us. That right here amongst us, God is gathering together a bunch of people, once dead, now alive, with all kinds of background and baggage. People who, if we cross paths in any other context, we might be tempted to, to overlook or to look down upon or to feel afraid of, but not here. There is no division. The hostility of our sin, the apathy of our indifference has been put to death on the cross. Here, as we approach the throne of grace with confidence, we do it together. And I think it's not too much to say that according to what we're reading here in Ephesians 2, coming to church each Sunday is actually to experience new creation life. Which sounds big and kind of hard to gel with kind of just the mundane reality of getting out of bed on a Sunday morning and rocking up here together. But it should have its impact To run through a bunch of them, I think it means that we need to prioritise our time together. Now, I know as well as you do that there are always going to be countless projects and demands on our time and energy. Believe me, I've lived through more than one home renovation. I get it. But none of that can compete with God's wonderful house-building project. You need to be here. We need you here. And so at this point, the preacher, he looks down the camera to those viewing from online, except we just have a sound recording, not not a camera, right? But at any rate, if you're listening to this online, we would love to have you at the family gathering in person because we miss you. And even if it feels like you're getting by okay, not here in present, you're missing out too. Now, I appreciate for some of you, that actually hurts because... It's precious when you're able to be here and it hurts when you can't be. And I'm glad that tech allows us to keep in touch even during those seasons of life. But let us never assume that that is enough. But I think there are heaps of other implications besides just showing up. For instance, it means that for those of you who serve long and hard and in these recent weeks as I've been getting to know this wonderful family here at Brighton, I just keep meeting people and getting to know people who serve on this team and that team and you add it all up and it seems like their household's on something every week. Well, for those of you that serve hard and often, rest assured that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. You labour in the great construction project of all eternity. I don't want you to ever forget what you're contributing to, what God is doing in our midst. Even when the task might seem really mundane or feel quite thankless. And for those of us who are here on a Sunday, but perhaps you've never quite found the the part that you're meant to play here, believe me, there is plenty to be done. We have a great God and He has a very big vision. And if you haven't found a part that you can play, well, come and speak to Matt, speak to me, and, and we'd love to help you get your hands dirty in it. Because it's not just a task. 
Do you see how relational this all is? Loving one another, bearing with one another, encouraging, teaching, praying. It's life together as members of God's household. Reminding each other that we've been taken from death to life. Reminding each other that while we're going through the ups and downs of life, we are also already seated in the heavenly realms in Christ. It's the relational work of this group of people, of young and old, each reminding each other, spurring one another on to remember that while we're living in the world, we're not going to get caught up in the ways of the world. That while we might struggle for hope, there is one sure place we can find that hope. Because Jesus' purpose was to create in himself one new humanity. And in him, you too, are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. Now, friends, we could go on and on and on, much longer with all of the implications of this, but that's really what the Apostle Paul does for the next four chapters, right? That's what the rest of the book is about. So we're going to pick that up again next week. Don't worry, we're not going to cover it all off today. But so now, I want us to pray together. And we're going to do this a little differently to how we might normally do it. I'm going to ask you guys to pray in some little clusters together. Give you a moment soon just to rearrange the furniture so that you can gather in in little clusters there or three or four or five or whatever it might be, really informally and pray together. Now, I know for some people that is a terrifying prospect and please don't feel pressured in any way. If you're visiting with us, we are delighted that you're here and we don't want you to feel pressured or put under the spotlight in this. If you would rather not pray aloud, please just take a moment. It's, it's much easier to just be up front and say, oh, if it's okay with the little cluster that you formed, if it's okay, I'd rather not pray. That's totally fine. If you agree with what other people are saying to God, you can add your amen at the end. But even then, nobody will be offended if you don't. Because friends, I think we're seeing here in this passage of all passages, the wonderful richness of what God is doing here in our midst. So I want us to spend three minutes in clusters, praying in light of these two tremendous realities that are the really big take-home points from our passage. That gift right there in the middle, part D on your, the way I formatted it there, that God's big purpose in Christ is to create a new humanity, bringing people together from across every social divide. And part Z, right there at the end, the climax, that all of this takes place in tangible, practical form right here amongst us, that we are being built together to be that household of God. So you might want to pray in thankfulness. There might be things that you think we need to confess or perhaps just ask God to help us live this out. Uh, we are going to put a, you know, a countdown timer on the screen because otherwise we have this sort of awkward thing where you know, there's that group, they're, they're prayer warriors, they're going 15 minutes, but when are we, when are we, we're going to pray for three minutes. If you'd like to pray more afterwards, then uh, after, our, after our gathering, then please continue on. But just to spend three minutes in those little clusters, can I give you a moment now just to rearrange your chairs, gather with just a few people around you, you may know them well, you may not have met them before. Uh, this is really intended to be a really non-threatening time. Get up, uh, move your chairs around. In a moment, I'll, um, I'll kick us off. So if we just hit pause on the countdown for a moment, let me, let me open us in prayer, Well, then we'll give you three minutes and then I'll close us up again. Uh, let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, you have been so kind 
to reach out to each one of us, to bring us from death to life. And if that's not where we're at just yet today, we thank you that you've brought us here, that we can understand more of what you invite us to be a part of in the Lord Jesus. And so we thank you that as you bring each of us into your family, you bring us together as family. And we ask that you would continue to build us up as this house in which you live by your spirit. And so we bring before you these prayers in Jesus' name. Amen.